MSW Media. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That, that's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, the, our position is. I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I didn't have not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hello, and welcome to the MSW Book Club. I'm your host, A.G., Allison Gill. Today, I'll be covering the final two chapters of the book, Here, Right Matters by Colonel Alexander Vindman. Chapter 11 is called Testifying, and it's all about his testimony during the first impeachment of the former president. And chapter 12 is called Promotion. Now, next week, I'll be joined by the author, Alex Vindman himself, to answer subscriber questions. And then January 9th, I'll start our next book called Corruptible by Brian Kloss. So make sure you pick that up as soon as possible. So let's dive in to chapter 11. Uh, Alex explains here that he testified twice, once behind closed doors and once during the hearings we all watched on television. And that's how it goes, right? They bring you in, depose you behind closed doors, put their whole case together, and then parade the witnesses out for the public. And that is what they're doing now, right now, for the January 6th committee. They're bringing everybody in behind closed doors, putting their story together, and we are supposed to have weeks of public hearings early next year, early 2022. Now, Alex explains that while he wore his civilian clothes during his day-to-day work at NSC to his job, he was actually required to wear the more formal ceremonial military uniform during his testimony on Capitol Hill, and he would actually face criticism for wearing it later by Republicans in the right-wing media. But during his closed-door testimony, Alex said he was disappointed in how openly hostile and partisan it was. Because not not because he didn't expect Republicans to be hostile, but he thought that would only happen during the public testimony. He thought he thought behind closed doors, um, he he figured the performative hunt for sound bites would not be as prominent as it would be like on television. And and with regards to the Republican members, he says, "quote Truth was their enemy, so my conveying the truth made me their enemy too." But Alex felt he was on firm ground because he had the truth and he had professionalism on his side. Now, the most challenging questions, he said, came from John Ratcliffe, Republican from Texas, former prosecutor. A lot of folks said that because Vindman reported what he'd heard, he'd gone outside the chain of command and disobeyed the president's orders. And Ratcliffe questioned Alex as he was doing that. He was working the chain of command theme, but with a deeper nuance that Alex said he didn't immediately catch. As the questioning went on, It then became apparent that he was trying to lead Alex down a path that would end up with him implicating himself for having bucked Trump on behalf of his own policy goals. But Alex was actually just relaying official U.S. policy, not his own personal Ukraine policy. And while Alex disliked the implications Ratcliffe made, he actually admired the effort in the same way he respected his Russian counterparts for being good at what they do. And you have to actually think and work hard to oppose them, right? It's not just like having Jim Jordan yell at you. 
He also appreciated the efforts of GOP House Counsel Steve Castor. He said his, it was his job to cast aspersions on Alex's testimony, but he seemed to know he didn't have much of a case, try as he might. Most of all, though, Alex admired Chairman Adam Schiff for, and other Democrats for living up to their oaths and conducting a fair inquiry, and Dem House Counsel Daniel Goldman, because he was smart and competent. Now, during breaks, Vindman's lawyers told him to say less, say less. And while Dems gave him time to chill a bit between Republican attacks when he was being questioned, he mostly kept thinking how much bigger the whole thing was than him. And if he was disappointed in the adversarial nature of Republican questioning during that closed-door testimony, it was nothing compared to what the right-wing media did to him, especially the attacks alleging Alex had a dual allegiance of some kind. Because that kind of smear would make it hard for him to operate as a foreign area officer. It It jeopardized his career, and they knew it. After the questioning, he and Rachel went back to Volkov's hotel to have a drink, and uh, he was startled there when some guys insisted on buying them a round of drinks. And then another guy did, and it started to slowly dawn on Alex. He was now becoming a public figure, and the positivity of the public was a nice counterweight to the bullshit heaped uh, heaped on him by Fox News like you and Ingram. But then the full-scale attacks began on Twitter, including a guy named Jim Hickman, who claimed to know Alex and labeled him an Obama globalist. He claimed that during a Germany military exercise, he had heard, overheard Alex bash the United States to Russian officers, in Russian, no less. Hickman doesn't speak Russian, but whatevs. Hickman claimed he was Vindman's superior officer and reprimanded Alex for the betrayal. But Vindman never reported to him and said that if he remembered Hickman correctly, he was this analog simulations guy doing gameplay for military exercises. They never... Yeah. But Hickman's delusions were picked up by the far right and amplified by conservative media. And uh, Vindman tried to stay cool, but he says it was difficult. It's hard to have your integrity questioned publicly like that, especially at such a large scale. Trump Trump Jr. picked up on Hickman's lies, and then the president himself... But that actually sparked a huge public defense of Vindman's integrity. General Dunford, Mike McFall, all publicly deriding Hickman and defending Alex. Now, the day after his closed-door testimony, he went back to work at the NSC with the intention of focusing on his work, but the attacks continued. And two weeks before his public testimony, he, he learned a hard lesson. that he, Sometimes you can't do it alone. You need systems and lawyers. And Alex says that lesson is one he didn't like to have to learn. Quote, It was the first time since I snapped and started wailing on that school bully back in Brooklyn that I couldn't stand up for myself. Now, he was hoping the army would come to his defense, uh, but they remained apolitical. Uh, Despite that, though, in early November 2019, he was called in by the Army Chief of Staff, General McConville, who assigned Major General Garricky to be Vindman's quote-unquote handler for the army, meaning any engagement between Alex and the army would have to go through Garricky. And then we get to the public testimony, November 19th. And he'd already had a taste, Alex did, of of what it was like to be a public figure. But now he'd be thrust into the middle of it on television for millions to see. And it wasn't just himself he needed to consider. It was his family, too. And his job at NSC would likely be in jeopardy. But he says, I had a duty to testify. And he would do what he always did. Jump in, let things cycle, and see where I landed. And that reminds me of my favorite Ray Bradbury, quote, you've probably heard me say it a lot. We have to jump off cliffs and build our wings on the way down. And Vindman, as we've said in previous chapters of the book, he ran directly towards the confrontation to deal with it. Didn't hide from it. 
So Vindman prepped for the GOP hostility. And Nunes, who had taken a lead role for the minority questioning, uh, he prepped for him, too. And Alex would have to work to not show anger and remain professional. And he also knew that his former boss, Tim Morrison, had turned on him. He'd been the one to bring the Joe Wang whisper campaign into the closed door hearings before. So he had to be prepared for his lies, that Alex was an unreliable, traitorous leaker or whatever. So Alex brought with him the Fiona Hill report cards on on his performance to to the public testimony. Now, he'd written a new opening statement, he and Rachel did. This one didn't leak, though. He sprang it on us that morning. And it was his twin brother who actually came up with the idea of focusing on his statements on their dad's concern about his testimony. Quote, a stroke of genius from my quiet inner voice, he said. He needed to remind his dad, Congress, the whole country, and even himself that despite the flaws in our country, it'd be okay in the end because this is the United States. It's not Russia. That statement, written by Alex and Rachel, resonated with a lot of us. Now, during the questioning, Alex's goal was to neutralize Republican criticism and reach the public. He refused to make himself the center of the narrative and focused instead on the high value of his expertise. And there were some instances when Republican implications did anger him, especially when they insinuated that his entire career had some sort of hidden agenda or they tried to diminish his expertise or even criticized him for wearing his uniform that he was supposed to wear. Alex worked very hard on not allowing himself to respond to those sleazy attacks with anger. But at one point, and we all remember this, Nunes failed to address him by his rank, and Alex corrected him instantly. He wanted to let him know he wasn't going to be pushed around. And then when Jim Jordan, uh, who's now under investigation by the Select Committee on the Insurrection, by the way, when Jim Jordan insinuated that even Fiona Hill thought Alex was an unreliable leaker, uh, Alex was at the ready, pulled out her report card and read part of it into the record. Quote, Alex is a top 1% military officer and the best army officer I've worked with in my 15 years of government service. He's brilliant, unflappable. He exercises excellent judgment, was ex exemplary during numerous visits, etc., etc. And that pretty much handled Jim. And it was during Alex's exchange with Dem Democratic Rep Maloney, that he said he reported the call because it was his duty. And at Maloney's request, he read aloud the second to last paragraph of his opening statement. Quote, Dad, my sitting here today in the U.S. Capitol talking to our elected officials is proof that you made the right decision 40 years ago to leave the Soviet Union and come here to the United States of America in search of a better life for our family. Do not worry. I will be fine for telling the truth. Then Maloney asked, uh, he would worry if you were putting yourself up against the president of the United States. Is that right? And Alex said he was deeply worried because in his context, that was the ultimate risk. Then Maloney asked, why do you have confidence you can do that and tell your dad not to worry? And he said, Congressman, because this is America. This is the country I have served and defended that all my brothers have served. And here, right matters. After the testimony came the second wave of attacks. He was also experiencing hostility at the uh, NSC. And to protect his family, he thought about moving out of their house and on to the military base. But uh, they gave that decision a few days and instead got the army to increase their security. But for all the vitriol from Trumpers, right-wing media, etc., it was nothing compared to the outpouring of support from ordinary Americans. Most astonishing to the Vinmans, were the old-school handwritten letters they got mailed, uh, emails, social media posts, old friends reaching out, 
show support. Strangers on the street showing support, all expressing admiration and pride in Vindman's courage for doing the right thing. But despite all that, Alex felt the big retaliation coming from a mile away. And within 48 hours of his not guilty Senate verdict, Trump fired Huge and Alex. And on a Friday afternoon in February, the NSC HR lady walked into his office and said, please step away from your computer. Leadership has determined your services are no longer required. Pick up any personal effects. You will be escorted from the building. He didn't have anything to pick up. He knew it was coming, so he would gotten everything out of his office already. But he walked out of the old executive building. And he says, quote, what was next for me? As I left the building that day, punished for doing my duty and telling the truth, I could not know the answer. Right? That brings us back to the jump in, cycle through, and see where you land. Jump off the cliff, build your wings on the way down. Start over and keep starting over. And then we get to chapter 12. It's on page 213 of the hardback edition. And as with every book I make into a series, I want to encourage you to read this final chapter yourself so I don't give away too much, but I'll go over the highlights here. We open this chapter with an unknown future for Alex after his firing by Trump. He was on track as an army officer to attend war college and get promoted to full colonel, but neither of those things would happen. The army's wish was apparently to move him away from the Capitol and the Pentagon and to get him completely out of foreign policy and national security. His hard-won expertise that he spent a lifetime developing would no longer play a role in his job. And that was a shocking realization he had to accept. He recoiled from his army handler's recommendation for an assignment at the new museum of the United States Army at Fort Belvoir. And after his testimony, he would probably not be serving in the White House. He knew that. But he at least hoped his career would continue uh, and he could contribute in a major way. But in the end, he was assigned to the Army Nuclear and Countering Weapons of Mass Destruction Agency. And for the first time, he couldn't see a clear path forward. And he didn't know where he was. Quote, what I did know was that I had about 10 weeks of vacation stored up. In keeping with the overall Army goal of lowering my profile, General Grenicky had advised me to take it easy for a bit. So I took six weeks off. Me too, buddy. When I, when AG was told in April, April 3rd of 2019, that my job was moving across the country, I took all the weeks of leave I saved up, all of them. So I feel you. During that break, Alex started thinking about his future, perhaps consulting with companies to make money and get, get a good living on that. But he was still clinging to the idea that there was a path that would allow him to stay in the army. And then the global pandemic hit. Now, when Alex started his six weeks of leave, we know Donald was downplaying COVID. At NSC, though, while he was when he was still there, they were all well aware as early as January that the virus was serious, but that it could be manageable if the president wasn't totally incompetent or worse, you know, trying to sabotage it. And for Alex, the pandemic amplified the strangeness of his situation. And at the same time, he felt he had to stay vigilant about the immediate challenges to his army career. He had discussed his possible promotion with his handler, Grenicky, and didn't know at the time that the issue of his promotion would be his final wrangle with Trump. It was clear after the discussions with Grenicky that he was actually selected for a promotion to full colonel, um, and that gave him something he could count on and look forward to. They realized, though, he, he and Grenicky as they talked, that if Trump balked at his promotion, it could jeopardize the promotion of everyone else on the list, or at least hold it up. And Vindman thought, maybe if I retire, I could take myself off the list for consideration, and that would free the army up to promote everyone else. 
Granicky seemed confident the army would fight for Vinman, though. He was wrong. This is from page 222. The promotion question, along with the question of what might happen to the whole list, now became the most immediate and unsettling of the great unknowns I'd brought on myself, on my family, and even my fellow officers, some of whom were in urgent situations and needed to know whether they'd be promoted. For the first time, I didn't have a strategy. I couldn't calculate the risks involved in any of the actions available to me. Feeling dependent on an outcome that was beyond my control to effect, I felt paralyzed and trapped. Rachel, as usual, had a clear view. There were few realistic options for me in the Army now, and they all looked like major comedowns from what I'd been doing my whole career. While there was undoubtedly high risk in retiring, and especially in leaving without being promoted to colonel, I knew I could find fulfilling employment and explore new avenues in my areas of expertise in the civilian world. Pull the plug now. That was Rachel's position. And that was May. And neither Rachel nor Alex could know if Trump would win re-election in November and continue to make their lives miserable. And in June, they learned that the White House was trying to prevent his promotion. Meadows was actually calling top brass at the Pentagon and berating them for not fabricating dirt on Vindman that would exclude him from the promotions list. Hundreds of military officers were living in suspense about their promotions, and Alex knew uh, that he had to act and, and, and act fast. He says here on page 227, my choice was becoming clear. I could continue hanging on to something that was, in stark fact, over, or I could take command of my own destiny. I could assume the army was the only place where I might thrive, or I could retain confidence in my skill set. I could procrastinate in the face of the great unknown, or I could have faith in my gut, knowing I'd find some way to put my skills to use. I could wander in confusion down a familiar but increasingly dark path, or I could start over. Start over and keep starting over. I'd learned that lesson long before I joined the Army. I learned it from my dad, and starting over would be far easier for me than it had been for him. I wasn't a widower with three kids arriving in a country where I didn't speak the language and with no job prospects, and I had a lot more than $759. I had an Ivy League education, a stellar 21-year military career, high-level experience in foreign policy, the respect of great mentors, and the love and support of millions of my fellow citizens for doing my duty. So on July 8th, 2020, he submitted his retirement paperwork. Now, within three weeks, he had his final out-processing paperwork. That is an unprecedented time frame to get that done, by the way. But the push came from the top, of course. And on his first day as a civilian, he published an op-ed in the Washington Post, calling out the president for tyranny and his botched mismanagement of the pandemic. And he announced his intention to serve the country in a whole new context. His immediate goal was to address the threats to the U.S. at home and abroad, and though he couldn't get his army promotion and didn't get his army promotion, he'd given himself a promotion to serve the country in a new way. And boy, does that resonate with me and my personal journey as well. And as Alex so aptly puts it, I'm an advocate for public service, for revival of genuine patriotism, for ethical leadership, and for standing up to bullies. Now in the epilogue, he writes about the lessons that he learned. Start over and keep starting over. Commit to your passions. Navigation is everything. There are people here. Uh, know your role and don't self-deter. And I'm going to let you read those for yourself. And I look forward to speaking with Colonel Vindman next week for the final episode to answer subscriber questions. It's going to be a great discussion. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been A.G. And this is the MSW Book Club. 
The MSW Book Club is executive produced by Allison Gill in partnership with MSW Media and written by Allison Gill and Dana Goldberg. Sound design and engineering by Molly Hockey. Jesse Egan is our copywriter and our art and web designer by Joel Reeder and Moxie Design Studios. The MSW Book Club is a proud member of MSW Media, a group of creator-owned podcasts focused on news, justice, and politics. For more information, visit mswmedia.com. 